everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show. And this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, liberty, freedom, and frankly, I think just the best way to live your life. That's how I look at it. I'm really excited today because I have here in person at my house in this recording today uh, two very good friends running for office. Uh, one is going to be running for uh, the sheriff out in Spotsylvania County. That's Steve Maxwell. And then we have Mike Allers, who's been on the show before, but he's here in person. And I believe that's the first time that Mike has been here in person. And he's running for the state Senate out in the 28th district. So I'm going to have you meet both of these guys and talk about why they're running and our vision for Spotsylvania County, uh, law enforcement wise, and uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, because this is going to be very, very important. Now, as a reminder for the state Senate, this is not this uh, coming election, which is uh, under 30 days. I believe we're under 30 days for that, but that will be November of 2023. So we have time to build up into that, but we're going to hear from Steve. Uh, first, he's going to introduce himself, talk about his campaign, how the status of the campaign, sort of his vision and when the election is. But first, just have you guys uh, introduce yourselves and start with you, Steve. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, my name is Steve Maxwell. Uh, I live in Spotsylvania County. Spotsylvania has been my home now uh, for a little over five years. I started my law enforcement career in 1983, September of 1983. So I've been doing it for quite a long time. Um, I have uh, also, I have owned and, and uh, sold several businesses in, in the, my adult life. Uh, the one I'm most proud of, I started an investigation security firm. And I uh, started that firm uh, in 2006 and sold that firm in 2017. So uh, that's what led me down here. I uh, took a, a career with the Pentagon and uh, I'm still there at the Pentagon with, in federal service and decided I was going to uh, continue that community service with the Sheriff's Department down in Spotsylvania County. Um, but I know we'll get into that later, but that's kind of my, who I am. Uh, married with, uh, I have eight grandchildren. That, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> so I'm very excited to get out and uh, spend more time with my grandkids as well. Um, but that's me in a nutshell. Okay, great. And Mike? Uh, Mike Allers, as you know, uh, Mike. And um, Steve and I are very good friends as well as you and I. We've, we've met through this campaign. So uh, it's really interesting the three of us got together today, which is really yeah. good. Um, and you bought us breakfast. That was yeah, there you go. Or bought yeah. me breakfast. I didn't get to buy Steve. Steve, yeah. was, Steve was a little late. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I went by, by way of the scenic byway. I you don't get in your fruit cup if yeah. you're late. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway um, I am a uh, lifelong educator now. 28 years I've been an educator prior to that. I was in law enforcement. I was injured, unfortunately, and but I pride myself as being an educator. Um, Twenty-eight years, about half of that is school administrator, half of that in the classroom. I'm back in the classroom since I got my knees replaced. I went back in the classroom. I teach elementary school, um, not your typical elementary school teacher, uh, especially since of my conservative beliefs. Uh, people don't necessarily align that with being an educator. I um, am the proud. Super lucky husband of my wife, Camille. We're going into our 33rd year of marriage. I have uh, three sons, Michael, Aaron, and uh, James. Um, and as of, I'm, I'm very lucky to keep, have Aaron. Uh, we're not going to reference that too much, but he just was in a horrific accident. So I'm very blessed that he's still with us. Thank God. And um, I, uh, I'm just 
very much a, a community service-minded guy with a, a lifelong uh, dream to be in service. And we'll talk about that because that's how that's transpired and why I'm running for office in the 28th district. Yeah, that, and congratulations on 33 years of marriage. I uh, uh, Same with me. We just celebrated 33 years. And, and by the way, for those listening, that's to one one person. Uh, you can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, yeah. I'm a former law yeah. enforcement guy. Yeah. Steve, you can, yeah. Well, both of you guys mm-hmm. were, were yeah, law yeah. enforcement. Uh, a lot of cops will tell me, you know, they were married for 33 years too, but they added up the five marriages. Yeah. <laughs> when you it's add all one. five, yeah. you yeah. can't yeah. aggregate no, all yeah, of that. No, no, it's one, one person. Yeah. No, and that's a real mm-hmm. that's a real testimony to uh, or a testament to commitment. It really is because this is a, a, a tough career, and uh, you know, thank you both for for doing the careers that you've done because uh, those of you that. Don't have a law enforcement background, and I, I've said this, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that this is a profession where uh, if the average person saw what we saw in one day, they would be in therapy for the rest of their life. <laughs> but we're exposed to that every single day, and it has an effect on you, and it has an effect on everybody in your family, everybody in your orbit. So it's a real testament to, to commitment that you can be together that long. And that is an interesting uh, twist of a career to go into education because people like us typically don't go into certain professions generally and one's education and uh, many of you know that listen to, the, to this the show that I just went into the counseling field and uh, you see no there are no conservatives that I've met in in the field and uh, which is interesting because we really need uh, people in education and we need people uh, in the counseling fields because I know uh, when I went through counseling um, there were no counselors like me. So I didn't feel like I could relate to anyone. So it's important we have that and to have people grounded in the purpose of education and uh, really doing the job of education, particularly after the two years of pandemic, because, and maybe I'll kick this over to Mike <laughs> first with that, because obviously running for the state Senate, there's a lot of issues, but one of those is going to be the state of education in the country, but Predominantly, but our focus is on the Commonwealth of Virginia. Where are we education-wise, and what are the problems? And the pandemic was devastating to the education um, environment, right? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm reading is the, the kids that are in school, particularly young kids, they've lost two years of development. And that's been devastating, hasn't it? Well, the thing is, with uh, it depends on the school district. And um, my particular school, I'm going to reference it singularly because of the fact that we addressed it and we were able to close the gap. But you're right. And uh, Governor Youngkin will be a big plus in moving us forward and closing that gap. But kids were out of school for two years and we were teaching them. I was certainly online every day. Um, I was online seven hours a day on a computer, still teaching the kids. The beautiful thing about it, the way I liked it was the fact that I had 100% attendance. But the thing is, kids' attentions and their attention spans were so fractured at home. Mm-hmm. They're on the computer playing a video game on their lap, in their pajamas, holding their pet, whatever it was. You just didn't have the engagement. So we were looking at that kind of thing, and the, and the, you could see how the kids were falling behind and losing the interest that they didn't have for you know education because they were at home rather than in the seats in a school. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't the accountability. The grading wasn't there. The rigor wasn't there. You couldn't uh, necessarily give that kid the full breadth of socialization, which I think was the biggest detriment to this two-year gap. Because we have kids that have a very difficult time being around other children. Two years away from social development when you're nine is massive. Or even when you're when these second graders, you know, the behavior 
of a particular kid might be that of a four-year-old because they're coming to school minus two years of school and they're just not having what they have. So having what they should have had. So when you look at where we are now, uh, getting kids back, I am where I'm going to go with when, I, when I'm in the Senate. I am for a paradigm shift. We can no longer have a 180-day construct. We can't do it. People compare us often to China. They compare us to Japan. They compare us to all these international countries and say, we're so far behind. Well, when you add the pandemic, China didn't lose any schooling. Despite the fact that we don't know the derivation of the pandemic, they didn't lose any schooling. We did. Our kids were pulled out. And they still went 240 days over there. We're doing the 180-day model, which is an agrarian model based on a, a life that just doesn't exist anymore. And our kids are just not catching up to the world. So we need to take a look at that. We need to not only change it because of the gap due to the pandemic, we need to change it so we can compete on the world stage. Mm -hmm. Our children just need a different model. And if not everybody, at least the kids that are based on data, the farthest behind. So that's one of the things I'm, I'm looking at as I run. By the way, I, I, I failed to say thank you, Michael, for having me here today. I really, really, uh, this is a special thing for us to do and a great opportunity. But um, we could talk really in depth about that. But that gap that exists will be closed with the current governor we have. Yeah, He's doing a great job yep. as far as the things we're looking for in literacy. Our um, Winsome Sears is certainly championing that. Uh, even Jason Mayeris is a big part of that. So the three of them, the tripartite kind of thing we have going on in the state is going to save us. But we have to make sure there's some continuity. You can't have somebody come in after Governor Yunkin who's going to drop the ball and bring us back to where we are. We have to depoliticize education in order to make the, ga uh, the gains. And that has really happened. Oh, my goodness. You know, there, there are things that are happening in, in the school system and, and the next thing I'm going to mention, I actually will touch upon law enforcement, and we'll kick it over to you, Steve, here in a moment. But it, everything is politicized, and, and that's everything from um, gender identification in schools, uh, the uh, transgender athletes, which uh, affects uh, it, people at the collegiate level. Uh, it hasn't really gone pro, but collegiate level, high school level, and these types of things. Now, first... I want to address that on the education side, and then because there is a, a law enforcement aspect, and I'm I'm absolutely against um, these restrooms and and you know transgender kids going into the opposite sex restrooms for safety reasons, and that's just my perspective. And um, actually, we'll give Steve a, a chance at that. Maybe kind of address that issue, and then maybe go into like larger uh, law enforcement issues that you're looking at, but. This is something that has gone into our schools, and, and I want pe folks, this is not necessarily about an issue about um, embracing what kids want and they're expressing their feelings and, and uh, exploring themselves. We all understand that. We were all teenagers at one point. We understand that you go through stages. But I, I'm telling you, as a former cop, former federal agent myself, when you open up those doors, you make it nearly impossible for law enforcement to help you and keep you safe, which I believe, and this is just Mike speaking here, the number one priority of the government is the safety and protection of the people. We start with that, and then everything else follows. And we saw here in Loudoun County an incident where a young man, and he was a young man, went in and raped a girl, and then was moved to another uh, school, and then and then Did raped again. again. And that is a failure of our of our government, really, because you know my child has a right 
you, know, you argue that your child has a right to express their sexuality, but I further say that my child has a right to go to school and be safe, okay? And your right does not override my right. So maybe, Steve, address that a little bit. No, Mike, and, and I concur with everything you just said about that because when it comes to, to a law enforcement um, action within the schools, every every parent now, we didn't have that when we were growing up you know we didn't have sros in our day again we would have never even thought that that was something needed you know because to to me it was the vice principal that was up on the law enforcement arm right to us but today you have to have an sro in every school the school board meetings now it's it's uh almost a requirement to have security at school board meetings Mm -hmm. um which led to something especially in our county in spotsylvania county um even that's become politicized. Um, our sh- local sheriff has now pulled the deputies out of the school board meeting because um, we now have a more conservative school board meeting. And the, they, the sheriff doesn't want his deputies seen as pulling people out of a meeting who are getting loud and boisterous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a law enforcement entity, you certainly want everybody to feel safe. My goal as a sheriff is... I want everybody to feel safe, no matter what it is they do. So if you're at a school board meeting, you have the absolute First Amendment right to express your opinion and to talk. But you don't have a right to disrupt that meeting. Um, And I've seen that both on the left and the right. So I do, at least as a uh, law enforcement entity, as the sheriff, we have the benefit of not creating policy, right? We're going to leave that up to you state senators and the, and the other politicians at the state house and the federal level to do that. But we do have for our community, I think, the responsibility of being able to allow people to do that without harming someone else. And that is what our role and responsibility is. So that role of that SRO, the security resource officer within the school of seeing a a boy go into a girl's restroom or a girl going into a boy's restroom can create scenarios just like what happened in Loudoun County. And I think that's up to those deputies or SROs to be able to stop those things before they happen. I think that's a role and responsibility for that. And and the public needs to understand from a law enforcement point of view, because in theory – you know, we can sit down and have a discussion about, you know, a young man now identifies as a woman and we have to support it. You know, and in theory, that sounds all good until it, it's practical. And let's just give a scenario. Let's say uh, I'm a young lady and I say, hey, look, there's this boy in here and uh, he assaulted me or uh, he's making me uncomfortable, whatever the case may be. And they dial 911 or they, they call the police or whoever and the police show up. And then look at the situation that you put that deputy or police officer Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Because now all they have to do, you know, this young man says, well, look, I identify as a girl. And the girl says, look, he's obviously a boy and it makes me uncomfortable. But what, what think about is the public the situation we put the officer in because now the officer has to make a decision. Is this really somebody, is this just, we've all, we were all in high school, right? Right. Is this a right. joke? Is it a prank? You're tying my hands as a police officer because I can't apply the law because we really now don't know what the law is and we don't know who you are. So if you, if the public put themselves in the shoes of the police officers, this would become a clearer issue because the application of this is almost impossible for a sworn law enforcement officer to deal with. 
That's how I look at it. Yeah, and and how can you go into that scenario as a law enforcement officer and decide which one is right? Who's right? This this boy has does he have the right to go into this woman's restroom into this girl's restroom, right? And and just by the sheer nature of him being in there, someone's going to be exposed, right? Mm-hmm. At, at some point, so who is more in the right? Now this officer has to make that split decision that others can take days, weeks, years to make decisions on. But he has to make that call right then and there. And so no matter what call he makes, it's not going to be a popular one. Exactly. And with how people have turned on the police, defund the police, Mm -hmm. there's not an officer out there. I know, I look, I've worked the streets too. There is no way in the world I would want to be in the position now in this litigious society. And we, we know, we have learned that in a heartbeat, people will run out and start burning cities down. And Absolutely. I don't want my town to burn to the ground because of some decision I made. And folks, we have to get back to some semblance of order, justice, and sanity in this community. And and hopefully that's what we're going to get in the next legislature here in, in Virginia and the Congress. You know, again, in Congress we have that. And Mikey, and, yeah, I just want to say, I was, I was while I was listening to Steve, he, he, he and I had talked about school board Meetings. I went to one last week. Uh, it was in Orange County. And prior to the meeting I went to, the prior meetings were pretty contentious. And there were people definitely screaming out while others were uh, speaking and over, you know, trying to go over other, each other's voices and stuff. But the night that I went, the discourse was pretty civil. And the reason was because of the Sheriff's Department. Mm-hmm. The Sheriff's Department stood in the back. Not as a threatening presence, not as to be this overarching, you know, we're, the, we're, we're policing this meeting, but they made sure that the safety was adhered to. And you mentioned your number one job is safety. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I wrote that down while you guys were speaking because of the fact that the first thing I explained to students when I was a principal and a teacher is my first job is your safety. Before I teach you how to read, write, math, science. You gotta be safe. It's Absolutely. Safe. So we our first couple of days, like if you went on a cruise, right? You ever go on a cruise that you spend that first day talking about the safety of the cruise? Yeah. Same exact thing. We go through all our drills, scenarios, everything else first. Then we start talking about, you know, curriculum. The other thing is it's interesting. Um, we were talking, I was having an open house, and this is plays right into what you two were talking about. I, there was a book written in 1987 by Lewis Sacker. He wrote Holes. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, mm-hmm. it became a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's a oh, yeah. very yeah. funny guy. Yeah. So he wrote this book called There's a Boy in the Girl's Bathroom, 1987. And this was just happened to be this kid found himself running from bullies, runs into the girl's room, and finds himself in that unenviable position that he had to then justify, okay? So it was comedic. So I have this book in front of my room while we're having open house and a father who is an older father sees it and it he about lost his mind thinking that I was somehow promoting indoctrinating yes. or promoting <laughs> that this is an okay thing. And when we talk about this, it's such an easy fix in schools. Uh-huh. I mean, schools are built on the cheap these days. But for you to build, look, we go into Starbucks. Doesn't the, the it says men and women on the sign, but it's single occupant. So if you have single occupant bathrooms, you remove this whole worry of having boys and girls commingling in the bathroom, regardless of their gender choice. 
And you just, it's an easy, it's a pretty easy fix right. for schools, but schools are so vested in doing things on the cheap. They want gang bathrooms. They want 14 urinals in a row. They want all that kind of stuff without any separation. But we're in a world where there's no privacy and people don't seem to grasp that. Now, I think the whole, the trans conversation, my number one issue with the word trans, at least the prefix trans, is transparency. And we, we fail to reach that level with parents. If we're not transparent with them with everything we do and all the decisions we make, we're in jeopardy. And we talk about that. I wanted to kind of talk about the fact that parents are being dismissed at the schoolhouse yeah. door and that safety and the things like you said, if you had a daughter, would you want her to be her safety to be jeopardized? But we've had bills come down from the House and the Senate that have certainly compromised our kids' safety, mm -hmm. especially if you were to try and charge somebody. Yeah. There's that the, the Bill 257 that basically allowed the principal to distinguish whether this is a something that's felonious or something that's less of a charge at that level when it's, in fact, somebody is being hurt. We know the degree to which that mm -hmm. should go. So mm -hmm. that that's a compromise that can't happen. And school safety, and like you said, safety is integral to all of our jobs. And we it, live in a time, it seems like we live in a time where the minority of whatever mm -hmm. the issue is trumps, so to speak, the rights of every other person, for example, um, in, in the bathroom. So this young man that now identifies as a woman, so now every female in the school is now subject to uh, this, and, and their safety is at risk because we have to accommodate the one person. And that's a weird dynamic that we have in our society, whereas it used to be we looked at the common good for all in the majority. And uh, we would deal with people singularly, you know, the outliers, we would deal with them individually and, and maybe come up with uh, accommodate them wherever we can. But we don't change the course of what we're doing because there's one person. We Somehow it, it is like it's something unique to this day and age where uh, that one person then dictates what everyone else do because it really if you think about yeah. transgender students right it's got to be infinitesimally small the number of kids that genuinely have that because I'll, I'll tell you another thing that it, it kind of goes along with this and it's it's sort of the um it's a weird thing that i've noticed in the last year or two you guys have probably noticed this too where you a lot of companies and places of employment will want you to specify what your gender is. So you go on a Zoom meeting, that's where you see it a lot of times, and you'll put he, his, him, she, her, hers, they, them, them, yeah. whatever. And you put that in. And I've, you know, I, I, I started doing some thinking about that. And I thought, when did this start? Right? I'm 57 years old. We're all about the same age. I'm thinking, like, this is a recent, when did this start? Where did it start? Why did it start? Who started it? You know, I can't find the answer to that. I can't. But furthermore, what I thought was, now, wait a minute. Why is it that I need to go on Zoom or email, whatever, and put that on um, because there's one person, and in fact, I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I don't know anyone in my world, my orbit, that genuinely is referring to themselves as they, them, or the opposite gender. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying I don't know those people. But all of us, and I've been on meetings where all of us have to put that on our screen because there might be one person that, that, that thinks that way, as opposed to, hey, if you are that one person, why don't you just specify what you want to be called and leave the rest of us alone? I don't, this is a weird dynamic. Well, Steve. and, and, and I, I, I live in a world of specifics, all right? The, right? We've all been in law enforcement and we understand. I can't go to court 
And I can't look at someone who's been accused of a crime and say they, them did that. I have to be specific for the jury, for the judge to say he did that. She did that. That person. So so I have I live in a world of specifics. So when you go off the rails to start using a generic descriptor of people, you can't very well put out over a radio. If your house got broken into, would you want me to put a descriptor out of the perpetrator that broke into your house and harmed your family and say uh, they instead of it was a white male they traveling in this direction non-binary person correct non-binary person that went to do this no so, racial description right. no hair color no no because it's, that's how correct. in the world would we do our job how would you ever find that person right so i find i live in a different world because of that thank goodness but you know and to think that to your point we have to dumb down everything we're doing for a very small minority of people who decide i'm going to you know, muddy up the waters and do things differently because I want my 15 minutes of fame. And I find most people don't really care about those things. They don't. They, they just, they, we live in a descriptive society. You have to be descriptive with most things that you do. And I don't know how we're going to get around that and past that. Um, but in my world, I can't use those type of descriptors just because of what I do. And we all know that. Um, so it's something that I don't know when that's going to change, but I know it needs to get back to the way things were. Yeah, because you know in the, in the police department, it would never fly. Would, I mean, let, let's, no. let's just play out a scenario. Yes. Let's yes. say I'm a, I'm a patrol officer and there's a, a, ro- a robbery suspect. And we try, if you were, it, this would almost be a comedy skit yes. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because you, you would say, hey, Mike, what are we looking for? And I would say, I'm looking for a non, non-binary person <laughs> of nondescript race. And, uh, you know, you can't, do, you can't do the clothing because that might be discriminating for right. culture or ethnicity, yeah. whatever the case may be. And then at a certain point, we as police officers would say, can we stop with the nonsense Uh we we need to we need to know these things. It's almost like we're we're starting to live in make believe land. Yes. And yes. And in the real world, it's almost like <laughs> wink wink nod nod. We'll go along with this, but in reality, we will all default back to hey, you know, I'm looking for a middle aged white male with gray hair. He's wearing blue jeans and and whatever. You're you're going to have to do that because that's that's not make believe land. It's the the real world, and we've lost sense of that. And I don't mean to demean anyone. That out there that does identify that way. What I'm saying is that you know, if you identify that way, you have to be aware that you are in the minority. That's of right. That. The vast majority of people don't operate in that world, and people. And I'll tell you something else. I, I I don't know anybody, and I've talked about this with people that I know. That if if I do come across that person in my workplace that says, "Hey, just so you know, Steve and and Mike, um, I, I actually am going by she or her." The world that I live in, and I and I, we all know uh, each other well enough to know that we would respect that. Absolutely, okay, if, that's, if that's yeah, what you want, absolutely. That would, I you actually want. don't know anyone that wouldn't do that. What I think is just wrong, though, that we impose that on everyone. Yes, respect yes. the people that want to do that, that want to convert their identity or be non-binary or whatever the case may be. And we do. This isn't the 1950s, folks. People do respect that. They just do. 
But we need to stop, you know, in pushing this down everyone's throat, we make everyone's life more difficult. And all of us have had to look at the world through being cross-examined in a courtroom. And when that is the standards you're being used, all of this woke, politically correct stuff goes out the window. Trust me, it does. You can't, and because you, again, yeah. you can't operate that way. You know, we, try reading a report that that you're trying to use descriptors for the person that's on trial. I mean, what if that were you? You would want people to know, hey, I didn't, I didn't do that. Tell me the description of what the perpetrator looked like. You know, well, you can use any descriptor if you're making it generically. I can fit any mold, right? I mean, you know, you have to get specific because you're talking about someone's liberty that's getting ready to be taken away from them. Mm -hmm. So because we operate in that different world and more specific world, I think uh, we should be the adults in the room when it comes to the type of things we're talking about in in schools and in meetings. Um, I, I just, I think at some point, uh, the world's going to have to realize, I agree with you 100%. If that's how you want to identify yourself and you do that, tell me that up front. Phenomenal. I'll respect your rights. However, you can't impose those that same will on me. Mm-hmm. No, it's exactly. all in the name of inclusion. Absolutely. And, and, and here's the difficulty from my perspective, not to bring everything back to the classroom, but when you're teaching kids how to write, there's something called subject-verb agreement and pronoun-verb agreement. So, for example, when I was a principal, I'd have teachers write notes to a parent. Your child, I'll start out with that, left their lunchbox in the school. I'm like, I'm not sending this out. (laughs) Well, why not? It's incorrect. It's a singular child. Your child left his or her lunchbox in school. We, we, We mandate that. Kids cannot learn how to write unless there's agreement. And when you start to impact curriculum and try and reason that this is correct, it throws all those rules that shrunk and white came out without the window. And that's just a simple argument I have, but I sit there trying to constantly bring the world into schools and constantly try and get kids on board. And when they bring up an issue such as pronouns and you have these mass walkouts in favor of something so minute or with regard to the bathroom issue, whatever it might be, you are forcing your will on the multitude and it's indoctrination. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the definition of it. When you try and get everybody to believe what you as a small fraction of society believe, the Title IX thing, where suddenly we all have to go, wait a minute, we're going to ignore that that six foot four guy with those massive shoulders is not a male and he's in the pool with these five foot nine, five foot eight female swimmers. We're going to ignore that now. We're going to hold our intelligence in abeyance Mm -hmm. while we watch this race and then we'll champion the outcome. Mm -hmm. The pendulum's got to swing back. Mm -hmm. And it's not in the voice of conservatism. It's just in the voice of just being folks who are like the adults in the room. Like you said, we have to think and we cannot be knee-jerk people. And you know what really is amazing to me is where are all the women's rights advocates that fought for women's sports and fought for women's rights? Where are these people? Because, you know, the... The marathon, and, and people who don't know history don't follow this, the marathon in the Olympic was not an Olympic sport for women until 1984. 
That's mm-hmm. fairly recently. Oh, yeah. So, and people, if you remember back, uh, there was the Boston Marathon back in the 1960s, wasn't there? There was a woman that was ejected from the race because how dare this woman? And there were that that lady that did that uh, went out on a limb, actually risked being arrested, and did very brave things to open up sports for women. Where are all those people today? Because the the you know women's sport NCAA sports, which is money, which is college scholarships, yeah, yeah. it's being able to go to school and being paid for that. That is being lost. Where are all the parents? That's the thing that has surprised me is people aren't standing up and saying, you know what, we're going to protect this. And there's been this talk of toxic masculinity over the last few years. And I thought this example of where we have. You know, men coming into women swimming, and it's cost women scholarship money. Mm-hmm. Why is that not considered toxic masculinity? And where are the leaders in our community saying, we are going to protect this? We are going to protect our young women and girls in school and sports, and that's the way that it's going to be. And, it, and it's for your, it, these, were, these were rights that were hard fought, hard won, and we're going to protect them. It, it just amazes me that, that the same people that advocated to get these sports are not fighting to protect them. And I don't know, I have yet to meet a parent of a uh, female college athlete. My my niece was a uh, Ohio State uh, soccer player, did very well. My brother and my sister-in-law, you know, over the years helped with that. And she became a great athlete at Ohio State. And she had other, I all of those players that worked hard their whole life to become um, collegiate athletes, I've never heard any of them argue the point that, you know, it should be an equal across the board slate for men and women. But if a male player would have come to that Ohio State soccer team to play and got a scholarship, taking one away from somebody who worked hard, a a young lady that worked hard her whole life to get that, and it was taken away from her. Where is the equity and fairness in that? Mm-hmm. I yeah. just don't see it. And one, I of the, have, one of the most overused expressions is we want to level the playing field. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, uh, I saw when we were, um, when my boys were young, my oldest is 30 years old, Michael. When he was young, there was some girls who wanted to wrestle mm-hmm. on the wrestling team. And so we're, we're grooming boys to say, listen, not grooming them, but we are definitely instructing them. There are places you don't touch a young lady. Yeah. Without permission. Now we put you on the mat. Mm-hmm. And then we, I don't know if you guys wrestled. I did when I was younger, I before I was huge. And I said. I was in the band. I was. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I was a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, uh, well, I was in the band as yeah, well. Yeah, I played yeah. trombone. Yeah. But the yeah. thing is, but the thing is, I, I wrestled until I was like 6'4 at 13. They're like, you're not wrestling yeah. anymore. You're <laughs> yeah. So, but the thing is. Um, we'll the women's yeah, you can go to yeah, the WWE. There you go. I could have yeah. crushed. Yeah. But the thing is, um, so when they put a girl on my son's wrestling squad and the boys all backed off and they're like. Boys were penalized for that. There was kids across the country, yeah. some yeah. kids at the state level, who said, I'm not wrestling that young lady no matter what. And they lost their title or they lost the match. Right. They had to forfeit. So we take away respect. And I remember, we're yeah. all old enough. I'm 58. You said you're 57. Yeah. We're both 58. Yeah. And remember the the Bobby Riggs, Billie Jean King thing. Yep. And you look at the fact that we have the battle of the sexes and all those kinds of things. Now, granted, Bobby Riggs was like 60, but the point is he still assumed that he could pound Bobby, Billy, you know, yeah, Billy Jean King, King on, the, on the tennis court. And the thing was, it was announced, look, there is a difference in the sexes. There is something, you know, it's the way God made us. And to then ignore that, 
I, it just is something I can't comprehend. Mm. And and like you said, if one of those scholarships is taken away from a deserving young lady in favor of a guy who somehow manipulated the system, it's just not okay. Because you're not changing your body structure, although you're going and getting a surgery that says it is. You're still right. not changing the structure of your legs, your shoulders, your muscles. Yeah, you, you all know, 5,000 years yeah. of gene, you know, yeah. genome, you're not going to do that. And, no, it remains uniquely to, male. To your point is, and what I was trying to say when I brought up, there was, there's not parents. Where are their rights? Where are those parental rights mm-hmm. for those young ladies that worked hard to do that? Right. Now, and versus the one-off, guy who couldn't make it on the varsity team for the boys team so now all of a sudden he's gonna go be a star in the in the ladies uh teams and you know what gets me is that there's not nobody here that has a daughter anybody listening to this program that has a daughter you know as well as i do there's nothing you wouldn't do to protect your daughter and the the ladies in your life nothing nothing you would go go to the ball and let somebody insult your daughter or attack your daughter (laughs) and see what happens right yeah but for some reason for some reason in this area People aren't speaking up and defending their the young ladies in their life. I it's amazing to me. They'll get, they'll get canceled. It. They're worried about. Yeah, it. I have three. That's si- what it yeah, I have three sisters. They're older than me. But if someone said boo, I, I was a pit bull. Yeah. If someone said anything about my sisters, intended yeah. to harm my sisters, uh, they came home after a date and there was a complaint. I don't care that, that you had to you know you had a reckoning coming and. The parents are just frightened, and even that young lady—I I think in Tennessee, maybe I'm wrong—the young, the swimmer. I think she was from Tennessee. When she spoke out, she yeah. was ostracized. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and like you referenced before, Steve, you said that that guy wasn't a great uh, swimmer. Yeah. He was ranked 419 yeah. as a male, and suddenly he's breaking every record the women have. Yeah. So should I, at this age, 58, I could still hit a softball a country mile? Should I go back to college and you know use my eligibility? And play man, women's softball. It doesn't make sense. It's something. It's common sense. It really doesn't make sense. And I hope we we are able to be rational. And I hope we are able to 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 rectify that because it's just one thing that plagues well, our system. Well, I know. So again, looking at and the reason why we're talking about this is yeah. because these are state issues. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they're they're national issues, sure. but you know, these will be handled in the state legislature. And I I for one, uh, in the state legislature, Mike will be the same way. And you're running for for sheriff. Uh, Steve, you know those are the things that that will be addressed. And if you're, so, if you're listening to this this program, you know know that I am absolutely a champion for protecting women's sports. That's the way it should be. These were yes. too hard fought, mm-hmm. and um, so I think you know some of the the common ground that we all have that is the protection of the people that 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 comes first and foremost. Yes. And then, um, and along with that, you know, our schools, education, and bringing some sanity back. And as Mike said having parents involved because you do have a right to be a part of your your children's education that is that is so important it really is now um speaking of the police and uh, we have seen absolutely that this defund the police and anti-police movement has backfired absolutely backfired there's not a crime statistic in the United States that hasn't gone up in the last two years in some of the bigger cities Washington DC being, the biggest in, in our region. Yes. I heard somewhere that the homicide rate increased 400% last year. That is staggering in a city that already had a high homicide rate. I think that things are turning. Would you agree with that? I think the, the, 
I am seeing more and more support for police, and I think that continues. I, I would agree with that. I, I think, and, and it's not just, and you bring out the number of homicides and, and crime itself raising, but I, I want to throw something else at you. It's not just the number of crimes occurring, but as we all know, solve rates have gone down. Oh, yeah. Crime yeah. rates increase, and the amount of solved cases are going down, which then, again, try to explain to the uh, victim uh, uh, of crime and the families of, of these homicide victims of why we aren't able to solve this crime. Yes, it, it, you know, and we how we need the community's help more than ever because the lack of funding and, and what you had just talked about when defunding the police to the Democratic Party was all the rage – now they've they're you know they're back. I noticed I saw an article uh, yesterday how now they're trying to turn that around. Now they want to be the funders of the police. Now Biden let's talk that. about yes, we're going to be the funders of. Uh, police. Is that not yeah. a stunning thing to hear Joe Biden <laughs> yes. say? We need yes. to fund the police. And I'm thinking, <laughs> really? And look who yeah. we picked as a vice president. Yes, and I, I, really? so I mean, who is more for the defunding of the police? I find the most irksome thing and. and Mike, certainly yeah. your district, the 33rd, yeah. and mine are both framed by interstates. Oh, yeah. So the trafficking, the the, the, right. the fentanyl that's coming over. There's no such thing as border states anymore. Every no. state's a border state. But I'm more irked. I'm also irked. I'm irked for two things. And this is going to affect Steve as far as his hiring, retention. I worry about the fact that cops can no longer have the primary offenses as far as traffic violations mm -hmm. and the secondary offenses that they once had. Mm -hmm. So they can't stop. And we all... We all did, didn't we all do, we all did patrol. Yeah, yeah. So how many times did a, a simple broken taillight yield something so much bigger? And I know you've had, you've told me those stories and I've had the, that occur when I was only on a job five years. You guys were on a job for years and decades. Mm -hmm. Those things were removed from the local police departments because of this defund movement and their, pardon the pun, police officers are handcuffed. So to bring them up to full speed is not just what we need to do we have departments like Steve's in Spotsylvania, or where you know I have seven counties. The, the, I call them the Magnificent Seven: from Spotsylvania, Orange, Green, uh, Madison, Culpeper, Rappahannock, and Fauquier counties. Where if we don't bring them up to speed with salaries, not just fully funding them, we got to give them salaries that are commensurate with the more populous cities, mm -hmm. so that these police officers aren't just hanging out three years, getting training at the expense yeah. of Steve's. You know, being this great sheriff who he's going to be and getting those guys well trained, then they move to a more lucrative job. We need to make sure that we have police officers that are well trained. Mm -hmm. Like you and I have discussed before, that's why I want a police college. Mm -hmm. I want a four year degree so that Steve's police officers in Spotsylvania would be just as educated as Sheriff Smith's in Greene County. Mm -hmm. And they're all, there's some kind of uniformity with salary. And when we fully fund them, we need to fully respect the job, give those guys opportunity to advance, et cetera. But removing those handcuffs from our police is critical right. to getting because, that back. Like a lot of areas, what other what other profession do you take one bad apple or two bad apples and, and then shut down the entire profession? You know, I'm right. Maybe I'm in maybe the education. Maybe now. education. <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're doing that. But yeah. you know, I, I'm you know, I'm in the healthcare industry. And actually, my very first squad when I was, uh, you know, I'm a pre-9-11 FBI agent. So prior to 9-11, we actually worked things other than other than terrorism. Right. Yeah. And I was actually part of, I was on a healthcare fraud squad, very first squad. And I remember 
thinking to my, you know, I remember just coming off the streets of D.C. as a cop and being assigned to healthcare fraud. I thought, what in my background made any of these people think that I'd be good for this job? <laughs> and I did it. And, and furthermore, this just shows you how my mindset was at the time. I thought, why do we even have, I mean, these are professionals, you know, doctors, nurses, these are professional people. And, and it opened my eye. I was shocked at how much, how seedy, you know, the business of healthcare could be. Uh, there are bad doc- there are evil doctors. I, I could I could write a book on, on some of the stories that, that I had. But here's my point that never once did it occur to me that after I arrested a doctor and I arrested a number of doctors mm-hmm. and not just insurance fraud, sometimes it was criminal things. Mm-hmm. But never what you know what the one thought the one thing that never came to my mind was, hey, you know, I got a bad doc. We should shut this whole hospital down. Right. That was never yeah. a thought that I had. Yeah. But yet, but that we have that at standard applied to police departments, which is insane. So I know Mike and I have talked about this, but Steve and I, you and I can talk about this as well, that are there bad apples? Yeah, there's, you know, there's bad pilots, there's bad lawyers, there's bad doctors, there's bad police officers, bad agents, as we know, in, in the FBI and other agencies. But we deal with those individually and improve where we can. Uh, I'm with you. Mike, that a lot of it are, are training issues, certainly leadership issues, but I believe that the Commonwealth of Virginia can, with the right people, and we are the right people to do this, create, you talked about a, a police college, and then having mobile training teams, because you know, I live in Fairfax County, and we have a big department here that has their own academy, a lot, big budget, uh, a, a lot of really good training, but you may go to other parts of Virginia where the department, you know, has maybe 25 people. Not all of them are sworn law enforcement. They don't have the budget. They don't have the training. And I think that the Commonwealth could create teams of trainers to ensure that all of those agencies are on par training-wise and, and, and raise the level of training in Virginia so Virginia can be really the gold standard in the United States. We can do that because we have the people that can do it. Um, maybe both of your thoughts on that. What, you... The future sheriff of Spotsylvania County. Well, yeah, thank yeah. you. And I, yeah. and, I, and I agree with that. There are many examples of that already being done in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually mentioned that to Governor Yunkin at an event he was at. And, and um, you know, certainly he's a proponent of law enforcement and he's wanting to throw all this money in, into recruiting and training. And there are other ways of getting great officers and deputies onto, onto these departments and you don't have to throw a lot of taxpayer money at it. Um, for instance, you know, in, in the state of Virginia, you know, being able to send a guy some from another state who wants to come to Virginia who's been on the job 15 years, I find it ludicrous that you have to send him to a basic academy again to start all over again. And he's got to spend eight months of his life to go do basic things that he's already learned and, and way past in his career. Yes. Yeah. But yet we... Why would someone with that kind of skill set want to go back through a basic academy just to get a starting pay job? That's not going to happen. So there are many, many things that we can change. And having a, a, you know, when these small departments, there are more smaller departments throughout the U.S. than there are large departments who can afford their own training academies and so forth. The majority of law enforcement is made up of less than 15 man departments. And a lot of people don't know that and understand that. And they don't even have their own academy. Don't, don't have, have their own academy. And no. they don't have the budget no. nor, nor no, the ability no. when you're talking about 24-7 operation. I, if I, There's some departments, if I take two or three people offline to put them in training, that's my night shift. There, there is I nobody mean, left, yes. Right. I mean, I can't, even if I had the money, I can't afford, you know, I need, co- people forget 
The police department doesn't stop. The sheriff's department doesn't stop. I can't pull people. I'm going to send you to a month-long yeah. crisis negotiator school. No, I can't do that. Yeah. I need coverage for... That's correct. Know, but we can bring training to them. Yes. Is my point. And we can do that. And we have the people running for office that have the expertise in those areas. And I think that's, and that's right. I Mm -hmm. think, I think with Mike in your district, and I know with Mike Allers and and his history in his district and working with sheriffs in the counties to say, Hey, here's what I have identified my need in in this County and in Spotsylvania County, I can only speak to Spotsylvania, but being able to work hand in hand with the legislatures, I think, is key for, you know, which I, I'm so excited about to be developing the relationships and the friendships that I'm doing so that when I have those needs, I have that contact with guys like Mike Allers, with you, Mike, and being able to say, here's a need in, in law enforcement, and here's what we suggest and how we can do that. How can I be of help to you to develop mm-hmm. a bill that helps reduce the liability so the officers can uh, uh, achieve their goals and their missions. Mm-hmm. And you have that background in, in all of your backgrounds and the conservative background to be able to do that and work together with each other to do that. That's what I'm excited to see this chapter of conservatism reaching into this field. Now. And along the training line too, along with that, because one of the issues, and I know going back to my days in, in patrol, if I knew the things then about mental health issues, yes. about addiction issues, if I knew then what I know now, I, I would have policed very differently. Yes. And, you know, when you look at the explosion of fentanyl, the legalization of marijuana, the opiate crisis, all these, which we have all of this in, in Virginia, these are issues that need to be dealt with. And so, so, so to my liberal friends that are listening, I, I want to... Talk about an area we, where we have common ground, right? Because it's not yeah. just no, headbutting. No, no. So in the common ground is this. You're unhappy with the police because the police, in your opinion, brutalize people, don't understand, and use excessive force, etc., etc. Okay? We can debate that all day long. But let's just start with this. The solution, the liberal solution to this was defund the police and let's get rid of police officers and send social workers out. Right. Now, that's only a good idea if you want a lot of dead social workers. Because I can tell you right now, um, hands down, the most dangerous thing you do as a cop is go to a domestic dispute. Okay, that's that's dangerous for police officers. Now, where I there is common ground is this. Do, I believe now that I've went through this graduate program and I work mm. in this field now, there are things that I learned in the counseling field that would have been great tools as a patrol officer. Now, I don't need to be a social worker, nor nor does your typical police officer need to go to quite the extent of training that I've been through. But there are elements of the training that I've had that would be very beneficial to police officers. And that should be incorporated into training for, you know, the people working patrol and detective de-escalation techniques, recognizing the signs and symptoms of mental health issues, schizophrenia, bipolar, the rest of them, and and knowing the reason, you know, is jail going to be the right solution for this individual? Maybe there's other things that we can do. But police officers right now are not, there's training that they could receive, I believe, that could get people in the public more appropriately situated. And then, then learning more about addiction, because to me, that is the big public health issue at this moment. And yeah, you know, yeah, you know, uh, the reason I advocate for this college idea is because of the front loading of so much training. Yeah, and it gives you a common denominator. 
So, but when I went to the academy, now I happen to work for, I had the privilege to work for Suffolk County, New York, which is one of the more affluent, if not the highest paying jobs in the country. Our academy was probably twice the length as most academies. Now, we started out this conversation, you had mentioned about marriage and being a law officer. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that they had the foresight to bring in. They said, look, they had all spouses, girlfriends, fiancés come in and say, the likelihood of your relationship lasting throughout this man's <laughs> career or this lady's career is, is really very minuscule. Mm -hmm. And so they talked about things like that. They talked about things of de-escalation. De they talked about the current things that are going on in society. Back then it was in MS-13, the impact, mm -hmm. the, the domestics, all of those kinds of things that were going on, we were up to speed. Now, to, to go with your, part, your point as far as removing two guys from the job, Steve, I could see, I, I know Steve has already started meeting sheriffs around the Virginia. Yeah, yeah. There could be, if everybody has the same degree, the same background, the same academy length, the same ethical training, yes. all those kinds of things, you could have, Steve could borrow two guys from a neighboring department mm -hmm. and say, look, I have two guys going for training. Can I have a couple of your deputies to serve with me? And knowing that those guys are equal to his guys mm -hmm. or females, forgive me for using the guys, but I mean, those kinds of things can enable smaller departments, to Steve's point, to engage in training that allows them to be on par with larger departments. So those kinds of mindsets... Now, I'm not, I'm not a law enforcement expert. I don't sell myself as that. I am sure, certainly three decades in, educa in education. Mm -hmm. But having served in a police department of that nature made me think that we can improve all police departments. Same mm -hmm. thing with education. I mean, education needs a rising, boat, a rising tide lifts all boats. Same exact mindset. We train, we elevate, mm -hmm. and we suddenly find ourselves with the best police departments in the country. And then it becomes a national movement. But, you know, when all of us were kids, remember the song, One Bad Apple Don't Spoil the Whole Bunch, Girl? Right. <laughs> to, your, to your point, what was that? The, was that the Osmonds? Yeah, it was the it Osmonds was. or the Jacksons? <laughs> but the point, the point was, I just remember this song. Yeah. I don't know the words. I know the chorus. But the yeah. point is, and nobody wants to hear me sing that. Hmm. But the point is, we cannot say that one bad seed poisons any no, no, uh, health care, no. police no. work, education. It's... It is a rarity that there's a bad person going into it. Because it's a leadership issue. And yeah. I've said this from yes. the, the very yes. beginning. You know, and I could go on for hours and hours and hours giving you examples. And by the way, if you don't believe me that what we've had in policing is more of a leadership issue mm -hmm. than a systemic racial issue, yes. I, I, can, I can make a believer out of it. In education. All, everything I, I, you can Because I will tell you this. You know, guys, because I could go on for stories. And I, I plan on doing some episodes where uh, I, I'm in a position now where I'm going to talk about some of the experiences that I've had over the years. And I'm going to highlight to you... Because uh, I, I, there's there's a case I just read about that uh, an individual that I knew in the FBI that um, is facing sent he was just convicted and facing some sentencing and I never wanted to mention that case until we got to this point but we're there now but I'm going to tell you rarely uh, you go you look at all these issues with police officers where uh, cities have burned down as a result of what happened yes. the actions of these officers I'm telling you that every time one of these incidents happens you find out that that individual was on the radar of that agency for a very long time and everyone Absolutely. around that individual knew they were a problem, but nobody did anything about it. And for uh, Steve, for you running for sheriff, I'm t and I point the finger right at the leadership. 
Yes. Because mm-hmm. do not tell me as a chief of police or as uh, a sheriff when you when one of these officers is arrested for bad doing and then come out and say, yeah, we knew that that person was a problem or we've disciplined them 20 times or whatever over the years and did nothing about it. Because when you look at those cases, that's the common denominator. Absolutely. It's a leadership mm-hmm. issue yes. coupled with training. Yes. Absolutely. But ultimately... Uh, the, the, it's not systemic racism. It's not systemic problems within the agencies, except to the extent it, it was lack of, of leadership. Because many, you take Derek Chauvin up there in Minnesota, which we know what happened in that particular case. He was a known commodity. He should have been removed from that police department years earlier, but he wasn't. I know. I know very few instances where. When uh, something bad happened in, in law enforcement, in, in any scenario or, or in, in medical field, and when, when there's a bad apple that their supervision did not see that coming, that that train was going to derail at some point. And I tell a lot of young people getting into this career field now, I get asked, you know, what, Steve, at your age, you know, again, I'm 58 and I've been I started this career 40 years ago. I should be at the twilight of my career, right? Everybody is always asking, why aren't you looking at just retiring and stuff? Because I want to train. We've been conducting law enforcement the same way we've been doing it for 100 years. Mm-hmm. There are There's different ways of, of getting and making this career and this profession today than it was when I started it in the, in the 80s. And I want to be the one that's helping train this new generation into mm-hmm. doing that. I believe it's my skill set and it was what I was born and bred to do to help these younger generation come into this profession that I've loved and has, and has loved me back um, in my community. And I just am, am, I see it getting to your point when it comes to leadership because in so many career fields, we don't have leaders. We have supervisors, right? Right. And there's a difference between being a supervisor and being a leader. And we have very few leaders anymore in this career. And if you're a leader, you have to make that tough decision to say, I've got to cut this off before it ends badly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and name it in any career field. I see it in the military. In the military, how many true leaders do we have? You know, as an FBI agent, mm-hmm. you talk about, you know, I know a lot of FBI agents in, because, I, I, you know, I work still in the federal level. I know a lot of agents. Um, and in the schools, I have relatives in it that's been in mm-hmm. academia their whole entire careers. I see people who are supervisors and wanting to attain that supervision level, mm-hmm. but very few leaders anymore. Leadership is a forgotten entity. And Absolutely. the other thing is in schools specifically, you have cronyism, nepotism, yeah. things like that. FBI. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you have all that kind of stuff. And you always say to yourself, how did this person rise to that level? And, you know, to yeah. your point, look who is at fault in Loudoun County. That individual who did what he did was allowed to do what he did to that young girl because it was swept under the rug by leadership at the highest levels they're so afraid to have the finger pointed at them they said we're going to try and keep this quiet all the parents be damned all the girls be damned with this happened but we're going to move this individual to another school a leadership decision these people aren't equipped for leadership when i was a kid we had a high our high school ring our high school ring says today we follow tomorrow we We lead lead. and and it was such a it was so powerful because you're going okay all right right now i have to be among the populace but my goal is what steve said the skill set my goal is to develop that skill set by my own merit 
to be a leader. And we have in politics, we have in education, That's police, right. healthcare, every single job you could think of, there are people in leadership, quote unquote, leadership positions who don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And we need to be more discerning. We need to have more training. We need to have people step up and we need them not to be, uh, you know, just sit there going, if I'm going to run for office, I know my whole mm-hmm. life isn't going to be dismantled because I raised my hand. Mm-hmm. I stood up for what was right, even though I was standing alone. That's critical. And leaders just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that we're all here together, yeah, we're all we're all in the same sheet of music mm-hmm. as far as our conservatism, but it's hard enough in Virginia, a left-leaning state in so many different places, especially Mike, where you're running. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in the 33rd, for you to run mm-hmm. is 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 really it, it's it tells us who you are just in and of itself. I want to be a leader of all the people I represent. You're not going to just lead the conservatives. You won't win. No. You you know, you're going to have to say, I have all these folks who are my constituents, some with whom I rarely agree, but I'm going to represent them with my full energies. Right. And it's because I genuinely believe, and I know you two genuinely believe, that what we are talking about is in the best interest of all people. That's right. I I really don't look at my beliefs as being conservative beliefs. Mm. I, I look at them based on look common we go sense through, we're, we're all we are all in the stage of life where we've been through careers yeah. we've been through i i have edu- all of us have education we all have life experience in multiple careers in mine it was uh you know the military uh i worked corrections i was a street police officer and an fbi agent been around a little bit and i've seen a lot i have seen and actually the three of us have seen name it name mm-hmm. something <laughs> a human being can do to another human being Right. And we've yes. seen it a yep. hundred times. More, okay? more than we could ever imagine. So what I'm oh, talking what? about is, uh. and what you guys are talking about, is based on life experience. And, and yours in the academic er- arena, Mike, uh, and now I'm in the healthcare industry. We, we've seen it. We've seen it all. And this is not ideological. I think the problem with the Democrats right now is viewpoints are, are based on ideology. I'm not basing my mm-hmm. opinions on ideology. I'm basing it on experience first and foremost, coupled with education and being able to see what's in the good. And you have to understand, I, be, I believe and you two believe that the decisions that, we're, that we want to make when elected are in the best interest of the community. And with that, anyone that has a differing opinion or wants to live a different lifestyle uh, you know, wants to identify different sexually, wants to um, uh, same-sex marriage, whatever the case may be. We all respect that. Absolutely respect that. But where we have to draw the line is imposing those views on every single person out there because you have a right to be who you want to be, but everybody else has also has a right to live the way that they they see their lives. Yeah. As long as it's not imposed. Like, I don't, I don't try to take what I believe and impose it on anyone. No. I've never Im- tried to impose my religious views or any other views on, on another human being, and we just ask for that same respect. We need to go back to that. It just seems like now you 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 have to believe a certain way or you're, cru- as you say, Mike, you're crushed. And we've got to get away from that. Well, we used to have I that. I have a right to be left alone. Yeah, we used to have this right? service unum mindset yeah. where For all, of, all of yeah. our differences come together and we go forward as a nation. And our differences are what make us awesome. Yeah. And and and, it, and what, you, what you said, we have to respect whatever people are doing inside their own, own homes, the way people want to live 
it's the law of the land. Because ultimately it comes down to this. And yeah. This is what I ask a lot of my friends now that uh, will attack me is I'll say, I, I, it's a simple question. Do I have a right to not agree with you? And they, they, they'll point. look at me. Yeah, that's a good They'll point, look at Mike. me and yeah. I'm, no, I'm being very serious. I'm yeah. not being mm-hmm. facetious. Do I have a right to not agree with you? Or must I agree with right. you on it? Because you, I mean, you don't agree with me on everything, but do I not have a right to not agree with you? And is that allowed? And is, is that okay? We're, get, we're getting to the point, which is what Steve was talking about with school board meetings. Right. School board meetings were getting to the point where you had one point of view presented. And what people don't seem to understand, when you have the single point of view, the myopic vision of things, what you're forgetting is the majority of your customers. And I, I mentioned this at a school board meeting. If we ignore all the parents, if we ignore all the community members, yeah. if we ignore those folks in the interest of a myopic view, we're not going to have any community, parents, etc. We're going to be standing there alone with no one to lead. And, and, to, and I'm not saying with people who are volunteering, I'm saying there won't be any, you're only a leader if you look behind you and there's people following you. Right. You know, yeah. so I mean. A leader you, of one. Oh, yeah, you know. Be, you know. I mean, the, the, yeah. the scenery only changes for the lead dog, yeah. right? But yeah. I'm just saying, the, the thing with regard to that, in education, I would try, try to make people understand, if you're going to go down this path where schools are unsafe or where we're trying to accommodate this minuscule population at the expense of others, you're not going to have others. And people are going to accept. I mean, we talk about school choice, which is vital for competition. But the school choices that these folks are making in Virginia, over 60,000 have made the decision to abandon public schools recently. So that doesn't take much more of a multiplication on that for that to leave us with empty buildings. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that the answer is to not have school choice. No, I think no, no. What it, I think what it is in competition, what it yeah, does is it's good. it makes a real step up. School choice game. is right. great. Right. But the, I, 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 it's yeah. really, you know, people vote with their feet. Yep. And, and if you're, mm-hmm. if everybody's leaving, then I need to, if I'm a school administrator sure. like yourself, I sit back and go, all right, we need, we need to get with it. We need to, we need, we need to, to, to step best. up our game and we need to be the best. Mm-hmm. Just like we can do with law enforcement. And, and folks, as, as we close out here today, that's, that's really the theme of this is, Virginia can be the gold standard for the United States when Absolutely. it comes to law enforcement, when it comes to addiction treatment, mental health treatment, mm-hmm. education, these things. We have the brain trust, the experience, and the people to do that here in Virginia. And it's a choice. In November, starting this November, starting mm-hmm. next month, yeah. right? We have a, I don't know that we've had a clearer choice in my lifetime. Really, maybe the Reagan years, you know, with yeah. Carter and yes, Reagan. I would, but yeah. uh, since that, but most most people today don't remember that era. But um, it's a very clear choice. But remember, and one thing the pandemic uh, really taught us is because everybody follows the national politics. Many, many people, to include myself, did not realize or fully grasp the power that your local offices and the school who who. In this community, thought that the school board wielded the power. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, we I, know now. Well, folks, after November, this November and next November, we only have ourselves to blame if we end up with these same people that put us into this predicament. If they're still there when these elections are over with, we only have ourselves to blame for that. And so, maybe just some closing words. Maybe <laughs> kicking off with you, uh, Steve, and. Yeah, things that uh, you you want the voters to know, uh, encouragement, and we'll do the same thing with you, Mike. Well, I think I, I, I absolutely agree with you, Mike, when you say that it's never been a more clear choice um, 
And in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we all know it's it's we, this November is very, very important um, for us to get our federal electors into place and, and our fellow conservatives in, elected into office. But next November, November of 23, is when the Commonwealth has most of its local elections are going to occur. And everyone knows those that's the election that touches us the most. That is why it's going to be so important for people to come out and voice their opinions. I'm a, you know, as a two-time combat vet, I like to think that the sacrifices that I and, and many other veterans um, had and, and, and did was to give us that voice of vote, what separates our country from a lot mm-hmm. of other countries. And I think next November to get uh, your opinion heard because Unless things change, nothing's ever going to change, right? Mm-hmm. And so next November is when we can change to make our voices heard. So I would, and my parting uh, words would be just that. Come out next year, vote for in the 33rd district. I encourage the people that are listening to this to get out for Mike in the 28th district for Mike Allers. Um, come on out in Spotsylvania and show that the the position of sheriff is a position of the people mm-hmm. and for the people, not the other way around. That's a very powerful position too. It is the sheriff. The sheriff is. I almost want to look at it. Is that's where the most pure offices, if you think about it. Yes. Um, yeah. There, it's not like being a police chief where you're answering to the city council or the city manager. I mean, the sheriff actually reacts to the people. That's correct. And so that's yeah. a it's yeah. a very very important position, and um, you know. Do, Definitely, definitely get out and, and support Steve because it's, it's very, very important. And Mike, how about you? Well, you know, look at Steve's, and I probably, thank you, Steve, I've been given such an education by knowing this man about what the sheriff's department does. And like you said, the sheriffs sing for their supper. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a civil oh, yeah. servant when I was a police officer. So right. I took it's a different t- animal. I took a test, yes, went to, took is. a test, did very well, you know, got, thank goodness, appointed. But that job wasn't getting taken from me. If Steve messes up, he's gone. When I was a school administrator, if I misspent one penny, I'd be in jail for malfeasance. People don't understand that. Some people will say to me, well, you were just an educator for three decades. No, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I ran a business that was, I had to answer to the federal government, the state government, the local Mm -hmm. government. And it was over a $2 million business with 60 employees. Not too many people can do that. And I had to do it to the penny. I had no excuses. So we talk about that. We talk about moving forward. You're right, this election. I'd argue it's more important than Reagan Carter because nobody mm-hmm. questioned Carter's right. patriotism. He might have been inept, but he was a patriot. Right. Nobody, and nobody questioned that he, lo- he, he loved, loved, he loved, loved this country. He, he was loved a, this country. He was, he was, a, he was a, officer, a naval officer. Smart man. He loved this country. He still loves this country. The man's yeah. 97 years old and he's in mm-hmm. service. So yeah. this is a completely different breed of election yes. in that... We are looking at, do we want America to stay in its, in its shining city on the hill? Or do we want America to go the way of defund the police, defund this, defund that, and the other thing? I'm looking toward next November. Certainly, I'm going to be running. My opponent and I are going to be having either a primary or a convention in the spring. I ask people to check out where Virginia has been in the last 10 to 12 years. Yes. Has yes. safety gotten better? Has education gotten better? Have your taxes gotten better? Can your children say they're going to grow up in a Virginia where they can afford to live? I mean, has from you, from a mental health capacity, do we have, are we more aware or have our homeless numbers completely gone down to zero? 
we are a mess. Or have they gone down? Yeah, they haven't yeah, gone down at all. Down if at anything, all. I think they've yeah. I think they've grown exponentially, and right. and that speaks to the current folks. Our addiction rates. Yeah, addiction rates. Our children. What has yeah. happened since COVID? Uh, socialization, childhood, and a teen suicide. What has happened with the pre- uh, the prevalence of uh, the social media influences? All the things that we are currently dealing with have been permitted by the folks who have been in power. And these elections are critical for us to change that. Mm-hmm. Like Steve said, truly change it. Mm-hmm. You don't change things for change's sake. You really have to change it because otherwise yeah. the more something changes, the more things stay the same. And you need to make sure that you change it and you hire change agents yeah. who are certainly people like we all spoke about leaders true leaders and and i think that's where we're going and it's critical that we do that and you cannot forward. sit these elections out you no. know the the bottom line is that folks i know virginia in general leans left northern virginia absolutely leans left but that's not a showstopper we have a lot of people that sit elections out you yes. cannot yeah. sit these elections out now, I know in my case, and I, I don't know if it's true in your cases, but in my case, uh, neither one of the people I'm running against am I going to have more money than. They, they, both of them have uh, have now more money than I do, will have more money than, than I will have, but it's not about money. It's about, uh, you know, do you, as, as Mike just said, are you happy with the direction of this state? If you are happy with the direction of the state, by all means, I invite you, vote for either one of them. God bless you. If you want higher crime rate, if you want more addiction, if you want our education to go down, you want our public schools, people to pull out of our public schools, if you want our taxes higher, if you want everything to be more expensive, if that's your thing, absolutely vote for them. But if that's not what you want, then you need to vote for all of us and, and everybody that we're running with because we are fed up with this and we can do better. And that's really what it comes down to is we can do better than this. And we should, we have the expertise. So if you want change in Virginia, in this Commonwealth, then you will vote for us when we run. Okay? And I'm not, uh, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be outspent. You're likely going to. I'm speaking. Oh, to tremendous! You, Mike. I'm tremendously yeah. going to be outspent. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, I, absolutely. I, 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 we're I mean, not. Ha- and I'll tell you why. No. And I'll tell you why I'm going to be outspent because I don't have people. I don't have ideological people in other states coming in and giving me yes. money. Because that's exactly what my opponents, no. and probably your opponents, yeah. big spender, yeah. the 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 dark spending that's going to come in to take you know take over you know, but it doesn't it doesn't take all the money. I want to point out Governor Yunkin, who is the current governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, was in fact outspent. Mm-hmm. He oh, was outspent, know. but yet he's the governor right now. I have something I always tell people when when everybody I, I get told all the time, you know, Steve, you're you're never going to raise enough money to beat your opponent. Because he's got a lot of money. And I said, you know, a dollar bill doesn't pull a voting lever. Mm-hmm. A dollar bill doesn't do that. He may have more money than I will running for my election, but it'll never outwork me. Mm-hmm. I can promise you I'm going to be face-to-face with more people who actually pull the voting lever. The dollar bill does not. I'm, the, right. I'm definitely going to be outspent. There's no way that my opponent just ran for our, uh, national office and still has that money to carry over. Um, mm-hmm. His fundraising comes from all over the country. Mine is I'm I'm shooting for folks who are grassroots, willing to. I say I, I, I told my son this the other day. I said grassroots starts with your front lawn. I need <laughs> I need my signs out there, and if I could get five dollars from folks, if I get fifteen dollars, they translate into signage, and that signage 
gets my name out there, gets my message out there, gets folks asking questions, goes on to allersforvasenate.com. Those folks do all of that kind of stuff. And then you represent the the people. I'm not representing somebody from Texas. I'm not representing California. I'm representing my neighbors who mow their lawn each each weekend, who try and pay their bills. They're at sheets trying to get gasoline with me. And we're all making faces at each other going, we're supposed to be thankful for $4. You know, I mean, that's what I'm doing. So we are all going to be outspent. Steve's going to be, I mean, maybe even more than I'm outspent because there's a machine behind whom he's running against. Mm-hmm. I'm running against an incumbent. Well, he's true of me as, yeah, as well. Yeah, they're yeah, old, the 33rd. They're, oh, yeah. they're oh, yeah. very well-funded yeah. folks, yeah. but very. they are not, to Steve's point, we're everywhere. Our voices are everywhere, and the people listening to your uh, podcast and the other places we go are listening, telling friends, and that's critical, like that old shampoo commercial. Mm-hmm. You tell two friends, you tell two <laughs> friends. Yeah, well, and we need you to you know, do that. Uh, we need you to, to send this recording out to all of your your friends, and it really is uh, a matter. And I'll tell you what, I, I'd love to debate any of these people. So Absolutely. if either one of my opponents are listening to this podcast right now, anytime, uh, any place, because I would pit my my mm-hmm. experience and my knowledge Passion. of this community. And I, I'd love to, I, you know what, I would actually love to have that conversation mm-hmm. in public mm-hmm. with you about it, because um, you're really not on the right side of what's in the the best interest of, of the Commonwealth. And, you know, guy. so, you know, Steve Maxwell ran for sheriff in Spotsylvania County. Mike Allery is the 28th district here in Virginia. Check out their website. Now, I know, Mike, you have a website. Do you have mm-hmm. a website, Steve? I do. Yeah. I do. It's uh, smaxwellforsheriff.com. So smaxwellforsheriff.com. And um, I have a survey on that website. I ask people to participate in a survey because it helps us understand um, exactly where in the community People want help. It's very specific in that survey that's asking uh, specific questions so that the people can let us at the sheriff's department know where they want the most help. Okay. And mine is Allers, A-L-L-E-R-S, for VASenate.com. And folks, like I said, there, there's I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow this from a young lady running for Congress right now, Yesley Vega. She sometimes ends her chats with this. She says, I'll accept your help. I'll accept your prayers. And certainly if you're so able, I would accept your financial help and assistance. And I'm just, we're going to need your help. Mm-hmm. We, we've we opened up our own wallets. I know I have mm-hmm. uh, trying to make that happen, but I can't compete uh, with the, the, the machine. And, yeah. And I, I'll tell you, and that actually is yeah. a, a good quote. Yes. And for folks that are out there, you have to understand that the three of us, all all the people that are running for office now, particularly in Northern Virginia, it's not an easy thing to do. You become, it's a tough world. It's it, the politics is a dirty business, and uh, dirty in the sense that people come at you. You express, particularly in this day and age, where you express your views, and as I mentioned in this podcast, apparently it's not okay to not agree with. Uh, your opposition, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and and I, I I have the deepest of respect for both of you gentlemen because I don't think people unless you unless you've attempted to do this and run for office, people don't understand how difficult that is on you and your family mm-hmm. and your family. I mean, remember that. And we live in a day and age now; even your safety is called into question, and that takes um, a certain type of person to be able to put themselves through that. Special families put themselves through it. Um, you know, give us your thoughts. Give us your prayers. 
Absolutely. And if you can support us financially, do it. Because I'm not receiving dark money. I'm not receiving money from out of state. And uh, we need, you know, these things do cost money. And, you know, we have to get the signage out there and pay for the websites and do all the work that we do. But, uh, you know, reach out, help out where you can in every little bit. Help. Don't think that you have to donate a lot of money. Ten dollars, five dollars. Absolutely. Go out. Five dollars a sign. Yeah. And and that would get it out there. You know, you buy buy a sign, put it on your own lawn. Grassroots starts with your front lawn. And it'll get stolen and we'll get another one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those are the endorsements we want. We want you to endorse us by saying, here's five bucks. I'll put your sign on my front lawn. Speaks volumes over getting Senator so-and-so from Texas to endorse me. That's right. I'd rather have... Mrs. Jones, who's working at Food Lion, endorsed me than someone in the upper echelons of some corporation who I never met. Right. And and I want to add, throw one more thing at it. It's not just from a financial aspect either, in my opinion, oh, yeah, Mike. It's it, true. Is, is it doesn't cost anything for somebody to get on a phone and call 10 of your friends mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'm voting for yep. right Mike or I'm voting for Mike. I'm going to vote for Steve. And this is why. You know, that doesn't cost anything. And I, and I think that's that's a powerful signal to get from someone. Um, And if if you're willing to do that, Mm -hmm. that's worth a thousand dollar donation to me is being able to have someone pick up a phone and say, I am going to do this for this guy because I believe in them. Right. Um, And that's a powerful, powerful message for someone to do. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome time. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Oh, wow. All right, guys. Once again, this is Mike Van Meter from the Mike Van Meter Show. I appreciate you guys coming in and listening to us. And please spread the message on our campaigns and and these messages because we can take this country back and we can take the state back. Amen. And we we need to do that. And we're going to be that shining light, that shining beacon out there in this country. Folks, we can do it. Life is going to get better, I promise you. It really is. And so, folks, check out my website, Van Meter for Virginia. Love to hear from you. Give us your support, and we'll be talking with you soon.